All right, guys, we go back to Romans chapter 15 this evening and um, uh, proceed in our study of the 15th chapter. We're up to verse 5. What I'd like to do is read to you um, three verses, 5, 6, and 7, which is uh, pretty much the end of a paragraph. Uh, Actually, it's pretty much the end of a a subject treatment. So let me read that beginning in verse... um, Five and you follow in your copies. Romans chapter 15 at verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another uh, in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God. You know, guys, I'm not real sure why this text has been so hard on me. Um, um, maybe, maybe not as hard on you. Maybe you're nicer people than I am, and I, I'm pretty sure that's true. But part of the reason that I think it's hard on me has to do with this, um, these statements like you find in verse 1, and not to please ourselves, and then in verse 2, you find that Jesus, verse 3, excuse me, for Christ did not please himself, and and so the, the, the great drift of the soul, at least my soul, is to, is to please myself. And this text is one that um, is, is suggesting that that is uh, not a good thing to be doing. I, another one of the reasons that I think I am drawn to the text, however, is this verses 5, 6, and 7. I don't know whether you recognized it when I read it or whether it rang some kind of bell Um, But I want to read it to you again, but I'm going to read it to you in a different translation, okay? Um, In this other translation, it says this. Now may the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, does that ring a bell with anybody? (coughs) Say again? It is a, well, it's not really a benediction. It's more of a prayer, um, but benediction is a good word. But it's the, it's, the, it's the text that I use in my wedding ceremonies. I've been using those three verses in my wedding ceremonies for about 35 years. I, I, I wrote uh, that, I mean, I, this is probably a, 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 one of those ministerial secrets that I shouldn't let out. But uh, I wrote that, that um, wedding ceremony 35 years ago. And I have been using these three verses in my weddings, and I've done a lot of weddings, I've my share of weddings. I've been saying that, and, and it's interesting to me that what I, uh, whatever translation I found this in is so really kind of different. Let, 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 me, read the, let me set them side by side. May the, this is in the ESV. May the God of endurance and, and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Listen to this. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. They, they just, they're just different uh, in terms of, their, uh, of some of the words that are used in here. But um, I use it in a wedding ceremony. But make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, these, te- these words were not intended for a wedding ceremony. They were intended for a church. 
um, they express a wonderful sentiment, a wonderful uh, admonition for a new, uh, newly married couple when it, when it says, um, may you live in such harmony with one another. Wouldn't that be good if all married couples lived in such harmony with one another? But I, I say to you again, it wasn't intended. Uh, the Holy Spirit didn't intend this text to be applied to a, a, a bride and a groom. It intended it primarily to be applied to a church. Us. Now, the, the same kind of, um, well, no, not, uh, but the, the kind of harmony that I'm pleading for with a young couple that's standing in front of me is the kind of harmony that the Holy Spirit is pleading for that should exist in the church of Jesus Christ. Gang, um, um, you know, you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Well, you're really not. The Lord's Prayer is really not in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That, that, that is not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, because that's the prayer that he, just, he taught his disciples to pray. That's just the, the, a, a teaching on prayer that Jesus gave to us that we're supposed to use. But the one that he prayed, the one that he prayed is in John 17. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. And it's, um, it's a part of the Olivet Discourse. It's in the last hours of his life, and he prays. And in that prayer, he prays for several things for us. He prays in verse uh, 13, he prays for joy. That is, that, that God's people might experience joy. And um, in verse uh, 17, he prays that they might be sanctified, that we might be sanctified. Uh, he prays also that they might um, uh, know and live the truth. But my point, the point that I'm making is, the thing that he prays for most in his high priestly prayer is unity. That they may be one as you and I and, uh, oh, Father, are one. He prays more for unity among Christians than he prays for your joy. He prays more for unity among Christians than he does for your holiness. He prays more for your unity as Christians than he does for you relishing truth. Um, and that emphasis is not only made in the New Testament. It's made in the Old as well. Psalm 133. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Um, guys... This is a section, verses 5, 6, and 7, that really present a, a conundrum, at least for me. And I'm going to try to... Very frankly, I might not do you much of a service tonight, because I might leave you tonight very confused. But I want you to know, as you leave confused, I'm confused too. And I'll explain my confusion. Um, and I, that's not good. I'm not happy about that. But um, this thing really really troubles me. And I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. But um, I have a conscience, as all of us should have, about the, the body of Christ being in harmony with one another. Um, we should have, as a, as a real goal, that we, that we be unified, that we enjoy unity. That's, that's the drift of this passage. It's the drift of John 17. It's the drift of Psalm 133. 
So it's a, it's a thing that's got to be important to us. It was certainly important to the Lord Jesus when he prayed. What you get in these last three verses here uh, is, is a prayer. And it, and it really brings us to the end of a section um, that started in 14.1 where Paul is pleading with Christians to get along. What we get in these three verses, verses 5, 6, and 7 of 15, is that we get the nature of unity, we get the source of unity, and we get the goal of unity. Now, gang, I have no problems in this text or even teaching about the, the source of unity or the goal of unity. I don't have any problems with that. My problems arise when it comes to the discussion about the nature of unity, the kind of nature, the kind of unity that is expected of us, the kind of unity that, that we should be wanting and pleading. That's where I'm confused. Actually, it's not so much in the nature as it is in the application of the nature. And, and, and that'll get clear in just a minute. Part of the problem in explaining the nature of Christian unity, guys, is that the New Testament uses so many words, and, and because it uses so many words, the translators are free to just substitute all kinds of words in there. For instance, you find the word harmony, harmony in, uh, in, in verse uh, 5. Yes, living in such harmony. Um, I hate this board. Um <clears throat> That's the word, phronine. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an infinitive, and it really doesn't mean unity. It has something to do with your thinking. It has something to do with mind. And some of the, the translations that you have, um, will, will, for instance, the New King James uses, instead of the word harmony, it uses the word like-minded. That you be like-minded. Very honestly, I think that's far closer to the, the, the meaning of that word than is harmony. And then, then you... you um, um, well, you, you come to the other places in the, in the Pauline epistles where he's talking about, and he uses this word. Enotes. And he talks about the unity of the Spirit and, uh, and, and a bond of peace and all that business. And then there's, there's other places in Colossians chapter 3 um, where he's talking about the same thing. And he uses another word. <laughs> Sundesmos. So when he's, when he's in sections where he's talking about unity, he's using three different Greek words. And the translators are all over the map trying to figure out what these words, how they should be translated. And here you get a classic example. Uh, you've got phronine, and it's translated harmony by the ESV. And very frankly, that's pretty far off. This has more to do with the mind. And when, when, when the New King James calls it like-mindedness, I think they're far closer to this word. But when you come to this word, this word is certainly um, the word for unity. And it's found in two places in the New Testament. It's found in, in the same chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, and I think verse 3 and verse 13. 
But what Paul seems to be pleading for in all of those instances, in all of those instances, is that is that Christians um, <laughs> should have a common a common attitude because they recognize their commonality in Christ. But here's where the here's where the problems begin. Okay, we all recognize that we have a commonality we share in the same Savior, right? We do. And so we should have, we should adopt a common sense, a common willingness to forgive, a common attitude towards lots of things. My question becomes, what things? Let me tell you a couple of stories. You like stories. Let me tell you about three. Um, This is a book written by John Piper. In my mind, in my opinion, John Piper is the finest pastoral theologian in America today. Now, he's not, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, he's not the best theologian. I think R.C. Sproul is. But R.C. Sproul is is not in a pulpit. This guy leads a church. And to, and to write like he does as a pastor is phenomenal to me. I mean, it is so far out of my league. But anyway, um, this, is, um, this is a book entitled The Future of Justification. Um, and the subtitle is A Response to N.T. Wright. Now, I know you don't know who N.T. Wright is. Well, maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you read N.T. Wright's book on the resurrection. Uh, his book on the resurrection, N.T. Wright, he's an Anglican. N.T. Wright is. He's alive. And he, wrote, or he writes a book uh, on the resurrection, and it's quite good. It's quite a good book on the resurrection. As a result of the uh, attendant fame that came from his book on the resurrection, he then writes another couple of books on justification by faith, where he, where he lays out, it goes by, it goes by several names. Um, I don't know what I've done. Oh, there it is. Um, uh, it, it, it depends on who you're talking to. It can go by the name NPP, a new perspective on Paul, or it can be called a new covenantalism um, that N.T. Wright promotes. Here's my point. John Piper writes a book. A book. To refute another Christian. Wait a minute! <laughs> what about all these admonitions to be one? I read this book. It's genius. And you know what? He made N.T. Wright look like a Ned in the first reader. By the way, he did it very sweetly. <laughs> I mean, nobody could be as gracious as, as John Piper was. Far more gracious than I could have achieved. But, I mean, he went out of his way to try to say, mm but. Okay. Wait a minute. I've got this admonition to be with Christians. And then one of my heroes writes a book. That is to refute N.T. Wright. Who is another Christian. Or at least... Publicly, he is. 
Here's another book. It's written by my hero, R.C. Sproul. Now, I know you don't know about this, guys, but you probably ought to. It's called the ECT document. Um, this, uh, this happened about 10 years ago, maybe let's just say 10. It could have been 12. It could have been eight, but, um, there was this big meeting, um, of a bunch of folks, religious folks, bunch of religious folks, bunch of religious folks. And, uh, they got together to try and harmonize evangelicalism or Protestantism, with Roman Catholic theology. They came up with a document. And the document was called, Evangelicals and Catholics Together. The ECT document. All of these religious dudes got together at a big conflab, and they were trying to merge... The Roman Catholic view of justification by faith with the Protestant view of justification by faith. And they came up with this document at the, big of the, at the end of the big conflab. And um, it was called the ECT document. And all of the people at the conflab were supposed to sign this document. You want to know some names who signed this document? Bill Bright signed this document. Uh, Chuck Colson signed this document. You ever heard of him? He signed it. I've ever heard of one of my theological heroes, J.I. Packer. Evangelism of the Sovereignty of God. Knowing God. He signed this document, which he later repudiated. But Chuck Colson never did. Neither did Bill Bright. But that's just half the story. As a result of that document, and as a result of those men signing it, three of my heroes, Jim Kennedy, Dr. D. James Kennedy, Evangelism Explosion. You ever heard of that name? That's the man that presented the gospel to me and Susie in our little apartment in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where we first heard about heaven is a free gift and it's not earned or deserved. Jim Kennedy, author of Evangelism. Jim Kennedy, who is dead now, R.C. Sproul, and John MacArthur got together and did a series of meetings across the country. And you know what the purpose of those meetings were? To refute that. Chuck Colson signed it for heaven's sake. And so R.C., John MacArthur, and, and um, uh, Jim Kennedy get together. I saw one of the videos. And of course, you put those three guys together and you've got a lot of theological education uh, and expertise uh, on one stage. But what were they doing? Do you see my point? Guys, this book was written as a... In fact, if you'd, if you'd like to... Well, you know you can't. <laughs> I was about to loan it to you, but I'm afraid I wouldn't get it back. But four or five of the chapters are just nothing more than discussing... So you've got a book written. You've got one book written to refute our N.T. Wright. You've got another book written over here to refute this whole thing. 
which was signed by Chuck Colson, J.I. Packer, Bill Bright, among others. What do you, what do you think, guys? Have, have my buddies violated the admonition of verse 5? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. You know, guys, this is when words get really important. You say, well, you're all that stuff, that chicken scratch up there on the, and you just want to show us you have a college education? No, ladies and gentlemen. It's because however you understand this word, is very important. Harmony and like-mindedness are different things in my book. Now, I'm going to tell you one more story. And, and, And here's where I'd like you to go home. And I'd like to make you as miserable as I've been for the last seven years (laughs) over this issue. And I, 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 and I'm going to tell this story, and I'm going to do everything that I can to prevent you from figuring out who I'm talking about, because I don't want you to know who I'm talking about. But I want to tell you this. This happened about five years ago, um, maybe longer. I, I don't really remember. <laughs> maybe it was 25 years ago. Um, it, it, it was it was a while ago, but. I was invited to a meeting, a religious meeting. Lots of religious people there, you know. Lots of, lots of professorial types, you know. And um, this meeting, this meeting was headed up by a group of people. This group really called this meeting. And everyone in that group had some kind of affiliation with some kind of religious organization. Now, I'll just leave it at that, okay? But I am not, that is not an overstatement. They had some kind of affiliation with some kind of religious organization. The man who was in charge of this little group of religionists is a name that every one of you in this room knows. Every one of you know him. And I went to this meeting really out of my respect for this man. In that meeting, my wife was there. She can vouch for this. I know you don't trust me, but you trust my wife. (laughs) I don't blame you. I mean, if you get to know me, you won't like me. Um, But uh, that's why I stay, you know, I keep a distance because I don't. Anyway, um, at that meeting, not the man whose name every one of you know, not that man. But a man who was a part of this group who called this meeting. Led us in prayer. And in that prayer. He prayed to Allah. 
Now, help me. What is the nature of Christian unity? Somebody help me. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I could give you two more things that happened on that night, but if I were to give you those two other things, you could probably figure out who this man is, and I don't want you to do that. Because, because I want to believe. I want to believe that this man is my brother in the Lord. But you tell me, am I supposed to be in harmony with a group of religionists who pray to Allah? You know what? You people need to go back and read this text some more. I mean, I mean, you know, I said it as I began. Why has this text been so hard on me? Well, this is why it's hard on me, ladies and gentlemen. It's calling me to something that I don't even know what it's calling me to. Because I don't know the nature. I know the source. I know the goal. I can get that. It's in the text. I'll teach it to you next week. It's the nature of the unity. That leaves me unsure, uncertain. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this man that you all know, every one of you, I I, I would say 100% of you, if I were to ask you, is that man a Christian? 100% of you would say yes. But I got this murmuring when I asked you, am I supposed to be in one with that? And y'all said, no, don't be with them. Well, then why not? That's what this text is calling me to. With all believers, I'm, I'm supposed to live... Now, guys... Um, I'm, I'm going to give you a little help, but I'm telling you guys, I honestly have struggled with this for five years, still struggle with it. I still don't know what to do about it. I still don't know what to do about, because I, I, I started off by saying, I've got this conscience. You should have a conscience about Christians being unified. You should have that same conscience, not because it's my conscience, but because it's, it grows out of the scriptures. Jesus prayed for this. It was important to him. It should be important to us. And then I go to a meeting that's supposed to be honorable to Jesus Christ and I am led in prayer to Allah. At one point, after two more provocations, one worse than that one. Susan and I got up and left. By the way, this group, 20 people in it. 20 people, I mean 20 religious, I'll call them leaders in, the, in this community. 
You know, sometimes, um, I don't know whether, again, it just, maybe I'm just as mean as a snake. Maybe that's what it is. Um, And if I am mean as a snake, I need to repent of my sin. That's not funny. But do y'all take the newspaper? Do you take the newspaper? I mean, is there any old people in here? I, I tell you what, I tell you what. How many of you don't take the newspaper? Let's look at that. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> See there? Uh, okay, it's just the old codgers that uh, still take the paper. <laughs> that subscription is worth the obits. <laughs> but on Saturday mornings, uh, they have this thing on the, on the front page of the fourth section called Faith Forum. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I was invited to be a part of that faith forum. I think I've told you this before. Um, and oh, it was a, two years ago, I was invited to be by David Waters, the religious editor of the Commercial Appeal. He writes me this very nice email and asked me to be a part. And I wrote him back very nicely. And he wrote me back and said, yeah, I really appreciate your response. It was, I mean, it's just a really nice exchange. And, but on Saturday morning, you know, some kind of religious question is posed to this religious audience. And I read them. And I walk away and I think, who am I? What, 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 what kind of bigoted, narrow-minded, out-of-touch, marginalized human being am I? Because I'm telling you, out of the 12 people that respond every week, maybe one you know, I, I get the rest of them. And they're all religious leaders, ladies and gentlemen. They're heads of their churches. And Did you read this text? Can I read this for you one more time? It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Are you miserable yet? Because I am. I mean, at least when it comes to this issue. I don't know what to tell you. What am I going to tell you? I have seven minutes to tell you. Let me tell you two quick things. In terms, I'm trying to give you some hint of the nature of this unity. And that's why I said, I don't like the word harmony in here. And I'm telling you guys, I, I did as much racing around in the Greek text this, this afternoon as I've done in a while. And that word, well, we'll come back to that word in a minute. But um, let me just tell you the story because I've got seven minutes. To, do you know the story? You remember this story. It's in Genesis chapter 13. You remember Abraham had a nephew. His name was Lot. And they both went and they made, had a, both of them had a whole lot of money. Oh, I got to read it. I got to read it. They, they both had a whole lot of money and they couldn't live on the same piece of land. And so, <clears throat> and so Pharaoh, <clears throat> Pharaoh, um, excuse me, Pharaoh, Abraham says to Lot, he says, um, listen, you know, we can't get along. I mean, we can't uh, have the same piece of land. So listen. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You get to choose first. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You, whatever you want. Yeah, you know, remember that story? It's in, that's in Genesis 13. But um, uh, this is what he says in verse, verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are brothers. Abraham, 
puts peace with another brother before his own financial prosperity. Now, guys, all I'm trying to do is give you a, a, a sense of the nature of the, of the unity and the peace that we're supposed to have. In terms of private, self-centered, privatized interests, I'm supposed to set those aside in the interest of being one with you and you me. Okay? We're talking about the nature of this unity. I'm saying that I must be willing to set aside my individual, selfish, privatized, self-centered interests so that we can be one. And all of us, that's part of the nature. Partly descriptive of the nature of Christian unity. The other thing that I would tell you in the next three minutes is that it has to do with this word. Guys, I do not think that the Apostle Paul is pleading for harmony. I I think he's pleading for the same mind. Like-mindedness or the same mind. And when there is a like-mindedness, I cannot be one with somebody who undercuts the very gospel of Jesus Christ. I cannot be one with that. I do not have the same mind. I cannot be one with those who substitute a gospel of works for a gospel of faith. It's not the same mind. And I will stand with R.C. Sproul and John Piper and John MacArthur and Jim Kennedy until they shoot me. That is, if they'd let me on the same stage with them. <laughs> Probably they'd, get off here, boy. What's a, who, who invited you? But I would stay with them. And ladies and gentlemen, as big of a problem as this presents for me, because I know who the man is, you don't. But because I do know him, that problem is enormous for me. But I cannot be in unity with that man. As much as I would want to be. And, and I, I mean, I know my, I think my wife knows what I did in response to try and be fro nine with him. But I cannot be, I, I can't be tossed into the same group. going to lead a group of people in prayer to Allah. 
You can call that window dressing. You can say, well, they really didn't mean it. You know, they're just talking. They're just trying to be hip. I guess. I mean, and maybe that's what they would say to me if I were to say, why would you pray to Allah? Well, we're just trying to be, well, okay, well, then don't do that anymore. I mean, don't, don't be hip anymore. I'm simply trying to give you an idea of what, of what Paul is pleading for in verse 5. It has to do with the mind. It has to do of the things to which we are academically, intellectually, theologically, doctrinally, biblically committed to. I want you to know that that is not a comfortable position. I don't even like it. I don't like my own position. Because what it does is puts me at odds. I don't like to be at odds. I I don't enjoy it. I don't think it's fun. I don't think it's cute. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's small. I think it's grievous. Because of texts like these. But I am not to be, I cannot be one with theological error. I mean, by the way, my time is up. If any place has sought to just, where are things that we can just live and let live? I mean, do you know of another church in America that allows two uh, two modes of baptism? Hmm? Do you know any place in America that does that? No, it's Grace Advance. Do you know anybody in America that allows men to be elders who do not share the exact same theological position with the pastor? Do you know anybody? No, that's Grace Advance. So we, are, we seek to find ground on which we can say one. Not over this. This is the very gospel itself, ladies and gentlemen. And um, pointing people to Allah instead of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is not just error. It's far worse than that. So, hope you're miserable like me. (laughs) Let's pray. Our Father, I I do pray that you will give us uh, wisdom to do wisely and rightly and maintaining the spirit of peace where peace can legitimately be had, where there is a phronine, where there is a like-mindedness, where there is a one mind. And then um, for the other that we might groan that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ has become so so misunderstood that people who call themselves evangelicals could stand in front of hundreds of people and pray to a false god. Give us wisdom, Father. Give us grace. Grant me grace to to do acceptably and honorably before you as we seek to 
flesh out this text and as the Lord Jesus has prayed to be one as you and Jesus are one. We pray in Jesus' name, of course. Amen. Thanks and good night.